But we're going to be in John's Gospel in John 8, and as we've been studying through the Gospels, we've been in John for maybe three weeks now, and there's so much here in John chapter 8. It's a great chapter, and we started it last week. And for context review, Jesus has been continuing His earthly ministry. He's on His way to Jerusalem where He's going to face the cross. And we saw Jesus, He went up into Judea to attend the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was here that Jesus taught publicly, He taught boldly, and He taught within the temple area during the feast. When the feast was finished, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and came back the following day to teach once again in the temple. And it was here that the religious leaders were waiting for him and sought to entrap him by bringing an adulterous woman to him and asking him what should be done to her. And this is what we went over last week. And if you remember, Jesus, he showed an exemplified grace and mercy to this woman. And it was a great picture for us because as Jesus had forgiven this woman, this is what Jesus had done for us. He has forgiven us. He does not accuse us as he did not accuse this woman. And Jesus intercedes for us. And if we're to live out this forgiven life, we saw that we must show the same grace and mercy that's been shown us, and that's continually showed us each and every day. So we're going to pick up where we left off in John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. So if you're following along, John 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus speaks to the people once more. Now remember, when Jesus came back into the temple, it said all the people came to listen to him. After this woman was brought to Jesus, those who, who sought to entrap Jesus, they left momentarily. We don't know if they left the facility, what happened to them, but they left Jesus. And now Jesus is once again addressing the great crowds of people who are with him. And Jesus made an amazing proclamation in verse 12. And this is one of Jesus' seven I am statements recorded in the Gospel of John. And he says, I am the light of the world. Now, remember, Jesus is talking to the Jewish people just as they finish celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And within this Jewish feast, the people would remember what Jesus, or how God provided for the people of Israel in the wilderness after they left Egypt. They would celebrate how God brought water out of the rock, how he brought the bread from heaven, and also they would celebrate how God would lead them by a pillar of fire by night. And so when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, this has major implications to what the Jewish people were just celebrating, and Jesus is once again showing that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Now, there's a lot to unpack within this one little statement that Jesus makes. Number one, the Greek word for the light here, it means to refer to the only source of light. So when Jesus calls himself the light of the world, he is ultimately saying that he is the only source of light. Jesus is the main source of light. And he's the light that not only shines in the darkness, but he's the light that can deliver from darkness. And for us as Christians, we would do well to remember that the light of Jesus Christ is greater than any darkness that we will face and encounter in this world and in this lifetime. And it's easy for us as Christians to forget this, isn't it? When we look at the evil in the world, and we look at all the pain and sorrow, it's easy to lose sight that Jesus is the light that shines and can deliver from the darkness. So we have to be careful as Christians to remember this. Jesus is the light that outshines any darkness. Let's not fall into the trap of, of the enemy where we think that this world is so evil and so far gone that Jesus Christ can't save it. If you remember Elijah, he had this mindset he fled from Jezebel and he said, you know what, Lord, it's so dark out there. They killed all your servants. I'm the only one that's left. 
And God said, well, that's actually not true. There's, there's thousands who have not bowed down to these false gods. But Elijah fell into that mentality, fell into that mindset. And it's easy as well to fall into that mindset. And if you're here today and you're not Christian, Jesus is the only light that can save you from your darkness. The only deliverance from the darkness in your heart and in your life is Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Now, you might be wondering, well, if Jesus is the only source of light, then why did Jesus call us, his church, the light of the world as well? Well, as Jesus is the main source of light, we are to radiate his light, which is another point we'll get to. But I want to draw your attention to the next thing Jesus said here in verse 12. He said, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. This phrase, shall not, I'm not sure what your other translations say. The New King James says, shall not. This means that you are forbidden to do something. You can interpret it saying this, God forbid you do this. You're not, you can't. When Jesus said, you shouldn't walk, in, it's not what he's saying. He's saying, you shall not. It's forbidden for you to walk in darkness. If I am the light and you are following me, you cannot walk in darkness. If we're to follow the light of Jesus, we cannot be walking in the darkness of this world. And this trips many Christians up because many Christians want to be casual Christians and walk sometimes in the light of Christ and sometimes in the ways of the world. They have one foot planted in the world and one foot planted in the kingdom. Jesus said, if you're to follow me, you shall not walk in darkness. We're to follow Jesus and to be like him. And today there's many who are trying to justify sin and worldly pleasures and passions. It's truly frightening to see many within the churches today trying to justify sin and trying to excuse walking in the ways of this world. When Jesus says right here, we're not called to walk like this world. We're called to live like him. And it comes down to this. What is Christ worth to us? Is he worth following completely? Or is he worth following partially? If we're to follow him, we must live like he commanded us and live like he lived. John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. The third thing I see in this verse is the light of Jesus. It exposes darkness. There's a reason the religious leaders were very angry when Jesus taught. It's because his light was shining in the darkness of their own hearts. And whenever the light of Jesus Christ touches a life, it, it shows what is being done in the darkness. Just like if you had a messy room and the light was off, you can't tell how messy that room is. But when the light shines on it, then you can see it. Because light exposes the darkness. But here's the thing about Jesus in the light of Jesus. He not only exposes the darkness, but he can deliver from darkness as well. Which brings us to our last point. As we are also called the light of the world by Jesus, we are called to radiate the light of Jesus Christ. If we are Christians, we should be representing Jesus and we should be representing him well, radiating his light as he has called us to. A great example is Moses. If you remember back in the Old Testament, when Moses would go up and talk to God in place of the people of Israel, he would come down and his face shone quite literally. He, he quite literally radiated the light of God. And the people looked at him and they said, wow, we can see something happened to him. He was in the presence of God. We can, he's radiating that light. And if we're to follow the light of the world who is Jesus Christ, then we must also radiate his light. Those who follow Jesus must be sharing about Jesus. Let me ask you, are you radiating the light of Christ? When people look at you, can they say, oh, there's something different about them. They, they look just, they're living just like Jesus. They're talking just like Jesus talked. There's, they have hope. They're not walking and living like this world does. There's something different about them. Can the world say that about you? Because as God's 
children and as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be radiating the light of Jesus. So how can we do this? How can we radiate the light of Jesus? Well, how, how did Moses radiate the light of God? He was in God's presence. Many Christians want to represent Jesus, but they don't represent Jesus well. And a culprit is they're not being in the presence of God. Very absent from His Word, absent from prayer, absent from being in fellowship. They don't want to spend that time with the Lord, and therefore they're not radiating His light. We must be in the presence of God. Psalm 119.105, the psalmist said, Your Word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. Have you been in the presence of God this week? Are you radiating Jesus? When the people look at you, can they see that you belong to Jesus? God asked me this question many times this week, and honestly, I can answer. There were a lot of times this week where I said, you know what, I'm not radiating that light well at all. As a matter of fact, if they were to look at me, they probably couldn't even conclude that I was a Christian. And that's not how we're called to live. If we are to follow the light, we're to radiate the light. So look at verses 13 through 18, and we'll see how the people respond to this statement. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge me according to the flesh, I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So, like normal, the religious leaders could not accept what Jesus had to say. And they say, well, you're saying all these things. You're saying you're the light of the world. You're telling people to come and drink from you, but you have no one to bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. You're saying this merely about yourself. They were so blinded to who Jesus was. And they say that what Jesus said, it's not enough. It's not valid. It won't stand. What Jesus said is not true. And you know what? The world says the very same thing today. Why do you follow Jesus? How do you know Jesus is who he says he is? Because he said it. It's that simple. Because he said it. But the world responds the same way these religious leaders say, what Jesus said is not true. We can't follow him. We can't believe him. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus, the first thing he says, even if I do bear witness of myself, my witness is true. It's pretty straightforward. Jesus taught that he is the way, he is the truth. He is the life. Therefore, regardless of what these religious leaders thought, and regardless of what the world thinks, Jesus is who he says he is. Truth is an independent entity. It doesn't need you to believe it in order for it to be true. Truth remains truth. Jesus is who he says he is. Why? Because he said it. And this is what faith is. Following Jesus and taking him at his word. For many Christians today, we must live with the confidence in who Jesus Christ is. Because unfortunately, it's a common thing in the church today that sharing about Jesus and sharing the word of God, it's not enough. And they want to supplement God's word and they want to supplement the words of Jesus as much as they can. And they say, well, God's word's not good enough. People want proof of Jesus. How do we, how do we truly share Jesus? His word's not enough. His word is enough. And I'm not hitting on apologetics. They're great and we should learn them. But what I'm saying is the word of God is truth and we need to be confident in who Jesus Christ is and what his word says. Because at the end of the day, what's going to change a heart? The word of God, Jesus Christ. So we shouldn't be supplementing the word of God or toning it down. We should be sharing the word of God and trusting the word of God. But Jesus is enough and he's enough to save any, any life. Have you lost confidence in who Jesus is? Have you lost confidence as you've been looking at this world and this city and you see 
all the hopelessness and, and all the evil and all the darkness, have you lost confidence in who Jesus Christ is? I was reminded as we were singing the one song, this, this Jesus that we serve, He is the one who is seated on His throne. He is the one above all things. And there is no other name. It's the name of Jesus and it's enough. Have we lost confidence in who our God is and what Jesus is able to do? And if you have lost confidence in what Jesus is able to do, I have a challenge for you. Take a look at your own life. You're a testament of what Jesus can do. Because Jesus changed your life if you're here today as a Christian. Now, what else does Jesus say here in these verses? I want you to notice Jesus says he doesn't judge anyone. (laughs) And I love this because the Pharisees are on the, the defense, right? Because they're feeling convicted by what Jesus is saying. Jesus didn't judge them. It's just when the light shone in their darkness, it hurt. Because when you shine light in darkness, people don't like that. They were convicted because of the sin in their own heart. But I want you to notice that Jesus said, my witness is enough. Jesus didn't come to prove credentials. He said, I have my witness. It's me and it's the Father. That's all he said. Jesus didn't come to prove his credentials to these people. He knew who it was who sent him and he knew who he was and what he was called to do. And that was enough. He wasn't here to please man. He didn't didn't lay out all these credentials for the religious leaders in order to convince them and please them. No, because that's not why Jesus came. He came to please God and to obey the will of God. How easy is it to miss this as Christians today, where we want to prove our credentials to man instead of just being confident in who God is and what he's called us to do? We worry too much about proving credentials, trying to please man. Christ has delivered us from fear, the fear of man. We don't have to live to please man. We need to live to please God and be confident in who he is and what he's done for us. So look at verses 19 through 21. Then they said to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Oh, there's so much here. John chapter 8 is a very meaty chapter in God's Word. We could spend weeks upon weeks in this. I want you to notice before we break this down, though, in verse 20, John tells us that Jesus taught in the treasury. This is a very public and a very open place. And this tells us that Jesus was sharing a very hard truth in the midst of many people, many of which would be opposed to what he was teaching. But you know what? He taught and shared anyway. That's tremendous. Now, I don't think we quite comprehend the depth of the statement by Jesus here. In verse 19, Jesus tells them, you don't know the Father because you don't know me. You don't know who God is because you don't know me. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the religious leaders. These are men who are well-versed in the law, well-versed in the prophets, well-acquainted with the God of Abraham, The God that they think they know so well, Jesus is telling them, you don't know him because you don't know me. What is Jesus saying here? Well, Jesus is saying a very tremendous truth. The only way to God and the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. It's truly frightening today how many people teach that there are many ways to heaven. That you can believe and follow whatever God you want and you'll make it in the end. That's not what the Word of God teaches. Jesus says right here, if you don't know me, you don't know the Father. You don't know who God is if you don't know me. This is very important for us as Christians. There is one way to eternal life and one way to salvation, and it's through Jesus Christ. And many teach today that there are many ways to heaven, but Paul wrote about this in Galatians chapter 
5, verse 8. He said, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That's a tough statement by Paul. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there is one way to eternal life, and it's through Jesus Christ. And we're responsible for what we're sharing with people in this world. Are we sharing that there are many ways to heaven? Because there's not. There's one way. Jesus said the way to life, it's narrow, it's hard. This is a hard truth that Jesus shares. So have you been sharing that it's Jesus plus something in order to be saved? Is it Jesus plus this? Or is it the truth? There's one way to heaven, Jesus Christ. One way to be forgiven, Jesus Christ. One way to spend eternity with God forever, Jesus Christ. So once again, Jesus is sharing this in a very public place, sharing a very hard truth to a really rough audience of people because, again, these people would be very opposed to what Jesus was teaching. But Jesus shared it anyway. And when we share to people in this world that there's one way to salvation, it's a hard message to share. People don't want to hear that. But if we don't share it, how will they know the way to salvation if we don't share it? Now, verse 21, Jesus said, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Now, why would Jesus say this to the people? Because it kind of seems harsh. You're going to die in your sin and you're not coming where I'm going. Is Jesus saying that these people can't be forgiven? Is Jesus angry at these people? Is Jesus saying that he would reject these people? Is it because he doesn't love them? No. Jesus is telling them, you will die in your sins and you can't come where I'm going because you won't put your faith and trust in me. They wouldn't go to heaven where Jesus was going because of their unbelief and their hatred for him. The truth remains the truth today. If one does not accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, they choose to take their sins upon themselves. It's a scary thought. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. I have great news for you. There is a Savior, Jesus. And all you need to do is surrender to Him as Lord and Savior. It's not about the works you do. We're not saved by those. We're saved by what Jesus has done for us. But refusal to put faith and trust in Jesus, there's no way to eternal life but through Him. So get verses 22 through 27. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Now, this is really fascinating to me in verse, 20, in verse 22. You know, because a lot of times as Christians, we get rejected, we get reviled, we get called many things for, for sharing Jesus and for being a Christian. It really doesn't compare to what Jesus had. Remember, the people accused Jesus of being demon-possessed. They accused Jesus of, of wanting to flee because out of fear. And now they're saying that, oh, well, maybe Jesus is going to kill himself. This is, these are the conclusions that people were coming to because of Jesus. So it really should be no surprise what people say about us when we follow him. That's just a little side note, but I find that interesting. They're so blinded to the truth, they think that Jesus is just going to kill himself. It's a wild conclusion. But they couldn't comprehend who Jesus truly was and what he came to do. Why? Jesus tells us because they did not believe in him. They rejected the freedom that Jesus was offering because of the worldliness they refused to give up. And if we're to find freedom in Jesus, it means we have to give up the things of this world. 
Now, here's the thing. Sin in the ways of this world keeps us in bondage. It keeps us from freedom. We think that we're free, but we're not. True freedom in Jesus means forsaking these things that keep us in bondage and turning to the one who can truly set us free. But the people weren't willing to do this because their hearts were so hardened toward Jesus. They had such unbelief toward him. And it's really sad to see, but so many are doing the same thing today. They refuse to give up this world and truly find freedom in Jesus. And for us as Christians, it's a sobering reminder for us that we should not be walking in the ways of this world. We should not be responding the same way people who don't know Jesus do. Jesus told these people, I'm not of this world. That's a tremendous statement. Why is Jesus not of this world? Because this world hates Jesus. This world is sinful and Jesus is sinless. And Jesus told us that if we're his followers, we need to live, what? Not of this world. So when we are Christians and we live according to the ways of the world, we're living in a way, right, of the world that hates Jesus. That's tremendous. That's a scary thought. It's easy to fall into. Are we living like this world or are we living like Jesus? Jesus said he's not of this world. And as his followers, we're called to be not of this world as well. So with that said, I ask a question. It's a tough question. But all these questions, you know, God asked me. And I'll tell you, most of the time when God asks me these questions, it's not the answer that I'm proud to give to the Lord back. But the question is, have you been living like a worldly Christian or a godly Christian? Have you been looking like the world or Jesus? Jesus said, you don't know what I'm saying because I'm not of this world. Are you living of this world or are you living of Christ? Now, note verse 24. This once again, as we were just looking at in the previous verses, this is a very key and important verse. Many people will ask, as you're trying to give a defense for your faith, this question will come up many times. Where does the Bible say that Jesus is the only way to salvation? Where does it say that I need to believe in Jesus in order to be forgiven? Verse 24, Jesus said, you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. This isn't gray. This is pretty black and white. Jesus is pretty direct and clear here. There's one way to be forgiven and one way to salvation. It's Jesus. And Jesus said that you must believe that I am He. Must believe that He is what? Must believe that He's a good man? A good teacher? No. We need to believe that Jesus is who He said He was as being Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So we have to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He's God, He's the only way to salvation. Believe that He is our Savior, that we need Him. Believe that He is alive. This is who we need to believe that Jesus is. What else? In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And this is what Jesus is telling these people they must believe. There's no life outside of Jesus. And it's really frightening when you think about how many people who serve God want to tone down the name of Jesus. How many churches want to, oh, well, we, we kind of say Jesus a little too much. We'll tone it down to appease people. Well, if there's no life outside of Jesus, we shouldn't be toning down Jesus. We should be proclaiming Jesus louder. Why? Because it's only through Jesus someone can have life. Are you ashamed of the name of Jesus? Or are you preaching it boldly? Is he the focus of your ministry and the focus of your life? Are you preaching Jesus crucified and resurrected? There's salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. And there are many people who believe in this country that they can get to heaven through different ways, through believing different gods, through doing their good works. And it's sad. They're in bondage. They don't know any different. Why? Because no one's telling them. I was, I was sharing with someone and I asked them, I said, have you heard of Jesus? He said, no. I said, well, and, she, and they said, well, you know, there's a lot of Christians who come. And I said, well, has anyone ever shared with you? They said, no. 
And I'm not saying anything about me because I don't share nearly enough as I'm called to share. But there are so many people who don't know Jesus because no one shares with them. And we become very one-dimensional in our, in our ministry where we just want to reach out to a people group. And we stay with that people group. And then there's people who pass us every day who don't know Jesus. And that was the hardest lesson I had to learn from coming from, from Myanmar. All I wanted to do was minister to the Myanmar people and the Korean people. And God said, no, you need to minister to all people that I put in front of you. Not just the ones you want to. All people. Why? Because all need Jesus. We know the way. We need to share it. But once again, these people, they couldn't understand because of their unbelief. Let's look at verses uh, 28 through 30. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. So Jesus continues, and what He says is really amazing. He said, you're going to know who I am when I'm raised up. And what Jesus was referring to is when He was crucified. Because when Jesus was crucified, we know what happened. The veil was torn. That separation was no longer there. Man had been reconciled to God. But we also see something else with Jesus. When Jesus would die on the cross, He would show perfect submission and obedience to the Father's will. Jesus didn't just say that I'm, a, I'm a submitted to the Father. I'm going to obey Him. He, he lived out what He taught. And He was raised on that cross. It showed perfect submission and perfect obedience. It's pretty amazing. And I love what Jesus tells the people. He says, I always do those things that please Him. And, and you know, as I was reading this this week, God said, Christian, do you always do the things that please me? And I said, no, Lord, I don't. <laughs> and He said, yeah, you don't. You need to. Can I, can I honestly say, like Jesus said, I do whatever pleases God? No, I can't. But this is what we're called to be like. Jesus is our example. What a great example, he said. He said, I do whatever pleases my Father. Are we doing whatever pleases Him? Because if we're truly living in the freedom that Jesus has won for us, we're going to do what pleases Him, not what pleases ourselves. God didn't save us so that we could live however we want to live. He, he saved us so we can live like Him. And to follow this example means we're submitted to the will of God. It means we do what pleases Him. Because when we're in, it's, it's a fruit of being set free. Because when Jesus sets us free, He frees us from sin, from death. But He also frees us from another enemy. An enemy that sometimes goes unknown. Ourselves. I'll tell you, you know, what freedom. When I gave my life to Jesus, I realized this wonderful truth. Life's not about me. Thank God. Because I can't please myself. You know, something Aaron always says a lot, Pastor Aaron, many of you haven't met him yet, but you'll meet him soon. He said, you know, if, if you and I were cloned, you know, you, you would probably kill your other self. And I said, it's probably true. Because we're all our own worst enemy, aren't we? And when Jesus saved us, He saved us from ourselves. What a freeing truth. Life's not about me. Thank you, Lord. And when we give our lives to Jesus, walking in freedom means we live to do the things that please God. We live to do the things that He wants us to do. Are we doing that? Are we doing the things that please God? What was the result of, of Jesus' perfect obedience and what He was teaching to these people? In verse 30, it says, as He spoke these words, many believed in Him. This is the fruit when someone is submitted to the will of, the, of, of God. Lives are affected by it. Lives are affected by the work that you do in ministry. Maybe you've been here this week and you've just been discouraged. Are, are, people, really, are people really changed by, by what I'm doing for Jesus? You know, maybe you've been sharing the gospel and you feel like no one's been listening to you. They've just been walking by you. No. When you obey God, you are affecting lives. Lives are affected by it. 
your obedience to God. So don't be discouraged. Continue on in the work. Let's look at verses 31 through 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So it says, many believed in Jesus, and Jesus affirms to those who abide in his word that they're his disciples. Now, a couple things that are key here. Number one, Jesus says, you are set free. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to all the people? No, he's addressing those who believed in him. Jesus spoke to those Jews who believed him. Because there's a lot of misconceptions that people say, well, you know, all, all people are God's children and all people are going to heaven. That's not true. We're all made in the image of God, but only those who place their faith and trust in Jesus are God's children. They're the ones who've been given the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Jesus is telling the people who believe in him that they're free. Those who don't believe in Jesus are not free. And if you don't know Jesus today, you're not free. That's the bad news, but the good news is there's a way to be free. And Jesus tells us. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. This is amazing. Now, I want to draw your attention to something else that's key here. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Now, is Jesus saying we need to work for our salvation? No. But what he's saying is, if you've truly been set free, you're going to live like you've been set free. You're going to live like you've been changed. Because following Jesus is not one day of the week. It's a lifestyle. It's not something we do at our convenience. It's something we need to be doing every second of every day. The word abide here in the Greek language is a word called monon. It means to continue in, to dwell in, to endure in, to be present in, to remain in, to stand in, and to tarry in. It's a lot. That's what I I love about the Greek language. It has all that, and then in English we just get this, abide. But this is what it means. To be in it, to be present in it, to endure in it, to stand in it, to continue in it. And this is what Jesus is calling us to do as his disciples. This is what his word should be valued in our heart as. Have you been standing in the word, enduring in the word, abiding in the word, standing in it? Because this is the result of being free. We're to abide in God's word. Not many live for Jesus. Many profess him, but fewer live for him. And, you know, you kind of see this very common in America. You know, a lot of times you'll see in America, it says 80% are Christians. Well, you don't need to go far in America to see that's not the case. Because a lot of people want to be called a Christian in name only, but not by lifestyle. Jesus said, you need to abide in my word. You need to continue in it. You need to endure in it. You need to stand in it. You need to tarry in it. You need to continue in it. Now, Jesus said, as we're doing these things, we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. So how do we get to know the truth more? By being in the word of God. How do you get to know Jesus more? Being in his presence. And the truth, Jesus has set us free. This is amazing. To be free means that you're free. Pretty simple. But a lot of Christians live as though they're still in bondage. Why is this? Is it because Christ hasn't set you free? No, he has set you free, but you're losing sight of the freedom that he's won for you. Jesus said you are truly free. You're not a slave anymore. You've been redeemed. You've been reconciled to God. You're not who you once were. This is amazing freedom. And if one does not know Jesus, one does not know freedom. But again, I have great news for you. You can know freedom. How? Jesus. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And you might be here and you're like, why does he keep saying that over and over every week? Because Jesus is the only way. And we need to keep proclaiming that. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you can find freedom. It's in Jesus Christ. And it's available to all. The hard truth of the matter is, you have to give up the old way of living to truly find freedom. Let's look at our last verses, verses 33 through 36. And they answered him, 
We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So you might read these verses, and as I said earlier, you can spend weeks and weeks in this chat. There's so much here. So we're not going to go too in-depth as we could with these verses. But I love the people's response in verse 33. Look at it. Look what they say. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Wait a minute. What about the Egyptians? Were you not in bondage to them? What about the Roman Empire? Were you not in bondage to them? Isn't it kind of interesting how they say this to Jesus? Isn't it interesting that they couldn't see the bondage that they were in? They thought they weren't in bondage at all. And isn't that a similar story to people who are in sin today? Sin will eat at you and eat at you. And if you have a life in sin, sin will take everything you have from you. It's just a matter of time. The Bible says the wages or the end result of sin is death. This is what sin leads to. But people who are living a life of sin, they don't realize the prison they're in. People who are in unforgiveness don't understand the prison they're in. Bitterness, you don't know the prison you're in. Sin is a prison, and you might think that you're free, but you're not. These people, they had been in bondage, but they didn't realize it. And there's many people in bondage today, yet they don't realize it. And here's, here's the thing. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you are in bondage to sin, but the prison, can, the prison door is open. All you have to do is walk out of it. How do you walk out of it? Through putting your faith in Jesus. But it's just a very fascinating statement how these people would say this as they were currently in bondage to the Romans. How does Jesus respond to them? He tells them, whoever commits a slave or sin is a slave to sin. So if you commit sin, you're a slave to sin. This is what Jesus was telling these people. No, you actually, he's not talking about the physical bondage. He's talking about the spiritual bondage. You are a prisoner. You are a slave if you are in sin. We're not independent people. We need a savior. This is why God gave Israel the law in the first place, to show them you need a savior. You can't do it on your own. And Jesus was telling these people, if you are in sin, you are a slave to sin. Now, something that's key here is because you might say, well, does that mean all of us who are Christians are slaves to sin? Because we all sin every day. No. What Jesus was referring to here when he says you are a slave of sin, he was referring to the habitual, continual lifestyle of sin. This is what the Greek word means when he says you are a slave of sin. If we're here today as a Christian, yeah, we fall short every day, but we are, we are free. We're no longer slaves. Praise God for that. But Jesus is addressing the matter of if you are a habitual sinner in a continual lifestyle of sin, you are a slave of that sin. And you are in bondage. Once again, Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Sin destroys relationships, reputations, families, lives, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all of the above. Sin's a powerful enemy, but here's the great news. Sin's a defeated enemy. And maybe you're here today and you've been living a lifestyle of sin. You've been in an addiction. And I have great news for you. That sin's already been defeated. You think that you're in bondage to it, but you're not because the God who's in you is greater than that sin. Don't miss this. Jesus said, if, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. You are free today. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that you're in bondage to this sin. You're not. You don't have to be because Jesus defeated that sin. You're fighting a defeated foe. But here's the thing. You're trying to fight it in your own strength. And you've been getting pummeled by this sin because you keep trying to fight it in your own flesh and you can't win. But Jesus defeated that sin. All you need to do is depend on Him and it's not easy. A lot of people teach today, well, you become Christian, your life will get easy, your, all your addictions will go away, all your problems will go away. That's not true. It's a battle. But Jesus has defeated your sin and He's able to set you free. And the freedom that Jesus brings is true freedom. And so if you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are truly free. 
Galatians 4, 7, Paul wrote this, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's amazing. Wait, wait, we're not just free? No, Paul says that we're no longer a slave, we're an heir of God through Christ. That's incredible. A lot of Christians mope around in ministry because they're guilt-ridden, because they're believing those accusations of Satan. Listen, this freedom, what Jesus says here, and what we're reminded of in Galatians 4, 7, this should be the basis and foundation of how we minister. We're free. This is the difference between us and those in this world who don't know Jesus. You've been set free. Are you living in that freedom? Are you living in what Christ has done for you? And if you've been here today, again, just keep stumbling in sin as a Christian. You need to fix your eyes back on Christ. Be open to your church family. We're, we're a family. We're here to bear one another's burdens. You're not in this struggle alone. But Satan would love to feed you with those accusations. Oh, you can't go to church. They're all going to judge you for what you're walking through. Oh, they're not going to love you. They're not going to forgive you. They're going to cast you out. Don't believe the lies. Jesus has won you freedom. You just need to walk in it. And if you're, not, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian again, you're in bondage, but there is freedom in Jesus. So I'll conclude with this, and then we'll, we'll continue our worship. We looked at John 8, verses 12 through 36. Again, just a tremendous chapter. It truly is amazing. I can't wait till next week, because next week is just even more. Oh, it's, it's good stuff. But we look today that Jesus first is the light of the world. We know if Jesus is the light of the world, that he's the true and faithful witness. He is the truth. He outshines any darkness. And he exposes darkness, but he also delivers from darkness. We saw that Jesus, by his own mouth, by his own admission, very black and white, very clearly say he's the only way to salvation. If one does not know him, one does not know God. That's pretty cut and paste. It's clear. Jesus is the only way to salvation. We saw Jesus' example of living submitted and committed to the Father's will and plan. And last thing we looked at was that true freedom comes through Jesus Christ. And living in freedom is not merely just reading your Bible once a week in church. It's a lifestyle. Walking in freedom is a daily practice of living in what Christ has done for us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm going to say it again for probably the hundredth time. And you're probably sick of hearing it. Sorry, I'm going to say it again. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, there is freedom and there is life. There's hope. All you have to do is surrender to Jesus. And lastly, for us as Christians, may we preach and share Jesus. That he's the only way to salvation, not watering it down, not toning it down, not, not hiding his name, but being bold about his name because it's by his name that people are going to have life. He's the only way to salvation. We need to be pointing people to the way to salvation. It's a challenge. We need to go out there. We need to share our faith and be confident in who God is and what he's done. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you have saved us, and we thank you that the freedom you've won for us, Lord, it's true freedom. Thank you that we're no longer slaves to our sin, God. Thank you that you haven't just set us free from our sin and we're no longer slaves, but you made us an heir of God through Christ. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you, you, sh- you shone your light in the darkness of our lives, but you delivered us from the darkness. Lord, may we have the faith and the strength to walk and live in the freedom that you've won for us each and every day, Lord. Lord, help us to be the people you've called us to be, to walk truly set free, Lord, to walk in that victory in the newness of life that we received in Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, I pray, Lord, you just continue to move in their hearts, God. Convict their hearts, Father. Convict their heart of their sin. Convict them, Lord, of of righteousness. Convict them of the coming judgment, Lord. And I pray today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, I thank you for this time that we have as your church body. Lord, I pray you just continue to move in this place. 
Bless our time as we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.